This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome. Hi, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Whenever you're deciding to watch this um episode basically what we've done is it's international week and we don't have any mill walls so rather than doing um mill related shows we've done some uh football related shows on a wider topic and um there's an interesting podcast what's been out about two weeks three weeks now um what you might or might not have listened to hence why i've got these two guests on the show um hopefully i can guide you towards listening to it and it will be good to, you know, continue the conversation really regarding uh, the podcast. I'm joined by Amanda, who is the FSA Fair Cop on Twitter. Uh, most Millwall fans will probably know her, uh, or most Millwall fans will probably know her mobile number and have asked her for help um, over the years. So welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you very much, Mickey. And I'm joined by uh, the co-host or the host of the Seb podcast, um, which is Gareth Roberts, and uh, good evening to you as well. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Good, I've got the names right, and we we can move forward now. So, um, so yeah, um, we'll start with you, Gareth, first. Um, explain a bit about the show um, and why um, why you decided to front it as such. Um, Obviously, you're from a, a quite a big name within the football fan scene and podcast world, and and why you decided to run with the show. And then, obviously, I'll come to you after Amanda because I know part of it was something what you took to Twitter over. So we'll come on to that bit um, next. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been something that had sort of been in my mind for a while that there's there's aspects of following football that you know are, are not particularly good for us, um, that go into some extreme areas that you know, culturally, we maybe don't address as, as football fans very often. We don't talk about it. We know it's there, but we don't necessarily discuss it. So I'm thinking, you know, excessive use of alcohol, you know, use of drugs, that becoming a regular thing attached to going to matches, and then and then hooliganism as well, which is, you know, all in the mix as well. And what, what in my head, if we were ever going to tackle it, I wanted it to be not, a sensational thing, not a tabloid-esque thing, more of a, well, let's talk about the people who were involved in it and sort of ask them why. 
Now that 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 had been something that had been kicking around in my head, and I'd never really known how to truly approach it. And me and me and Amanda talk on the regular anyway about sort of issues in football, and you know she's been on the Anfield app on numerous occasions over the years, and we just had a conversation, and you mentioned the Twitter thread in particular, um, off the back of a conversation she'd had with a fan who, who was basically saying he was involved in something, he was wrapped up in it, it was it, it overtaken his life, if you like, to the detriment of relationships with friends and family. And the most interesting part of it was that he was sort of saying to Amanda, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, that he could he didn't know a way out. He didn't know he, he knew it was wrong. He knew it was he, he knew he wasn't exactly a great person to be around and wasn't particularly liked by a lot of people and things like that. But he didn't know how to end that section of life and turn elsewhere almost. And you know, we talked about that, talked about how interesting that was. And then, you know, Amanda through the number of people that she speaks to, you mentioned, you know, obviously people know Amanda and they ring her up if they get in trouble around football matches. You know, we were able to identify a number of individuals really that we could potentially speak to. But then, what we also wanted to do with it was, you know, speak to police, speak to people who were involved in in the league, uh, speak to people involved in mental health and things like that. Get all different sides to this story, put a bit of a package together, and see what we ended up with really. And and that's what we did. Um, and you know, pleased to say that it's it's gone down well, and that the the feedback on it's been good and. People have sought it for what it was, which was, you know, an effort to tell a story in a sort of a non-judgmental way, really. So it wasn't to say, like, you know, this is great or anything like that. And it wasn't to do down the individuals. It was just simply to tell their story. And, you know, for spoilers for people who haven't listened to it. But when we got to the end, I mean, the end bit is a chat between me and Amanda. And we were like, well, we haven't, we haven't got the solutions here. But it's more like we hope. We hope that it would spark a debate. We hope that it would spark discussion. Um, and it seems to have done that to an extent. To certainly, I mean, I'm sure Amanda can tell you more, but you know, we know that academics have taken a listen to it and are talking about it. Various people in the football industry have had a listen and talked about it. So who knows? It could be the start of something. It could be the start of football fans who find themselves in those predicaments being treated in a bit of a different way rather than just ban them, jail them, and they stay in that cycle of bans and jails and the same behaviour. No, I totally agree with you. And uh, and I've listened to the show and and obviously I've got some few points and, and stuff what I'd like to discuss with it. But I mean, before we come on, on to that side of it and we, we discuss it in a bit more depth with it, I mean, Amanda, I mean, for those who haven't seen, you did a, a thread um, on a on a subject on this, and there was quite a bit of feedback. And so, but what was the what was the original driving point for you to suddenly say something needs to be done? We need to look at this and and see what we can do with this um, in a different way to how a, a red top newspaper or, or you know the the media sensation world would do this. Um, they would probably speak to these people you've spoken to, but in a way where they want to create a sensationalised headline and then basically kick them to the curb and say thank you very much and move on. Well, I think like um, Gareth alluded to, the first chap I spoke to, let's let's call him Steve, that's the name I gave him on Twitter, 
I mean, what ultimately was really compelling for me was that, I mean, he was quite young, 21, 22, and yet very intelligent, very articulate, and was insightful enough to realise his lifestyle was alienating people. And again, as Gareth said, um, but couldn't find a way out of it. And to some extent, probably didn't even want to get out of it um, because the buzz, the adrenaline, that those male bonds that are formed. So um, I had, had a chat with Gareth and as he, again, as he said, he agreed that, you know, there could be a podcast in it. And I think everyone we spoke to, um, it wasn't about, it wasn't about presenting them as sympathetic characters necessarily. It was just about presenting them as people because, I mean, football hooliganism, there's a whole industry, isn't there, behind it? I mean, the porn, it's glamorised, it's demonised, but nobody actually talks to the people involved in it to properly find out what makes them tick, what motivates them. And I think as well, there's also this um, stereotype idea that everyone involved in hooliganism is this knuckle-dragging, brain-dead idiot um but which they're not, which they're, not. Which they're, they're, not you know, they're very clearly not you know all, all the chaps that we met um were likable men you know they were they were good company they could tell a story and that they all had a certain amount of intelligence about them they were articulate but ultimately you know that this this very in-depth ingrained passion that they had for their club translated it you know it, into this expression of violence when they met their like-minded and like-minded counterparts at other clubs and again it wasn't about drawing a conclusion from any of it not least because we're not qualified but I think what what struck me was um some people just inherently have it in them to enjoy enjoy violence and fighting and I think all of them said didn't they Gareth that there was an element of enjoyment about it it was the adrenaline it was the buzz um one of them even said that he liked being punched now i can't get my head around that in a million years maybe some of you are listening <laughs> i don't yeah, know I, listened to um, that. I was like yeah uh, uh, there's another one i said we I, I said to him um you know this isn't much fun when you're like curled up in a ball on the floor having had your head kicked in literally and he said well it's it, i don't mind because it proves to everyone else that i I didn't run. I, I stood my ground. So that interests me. You know, I, I just think it's probably a uniquely male thing. It's probably something a lot of people can't understand. And again, it wasn't about making people understand it. It was just giving people a platform in a non-judgmental way to articulate their feelings, their thoughts, and why, why they involve themselves in the lifestyle that they do. Yes. I mean... The question what I'll probably raise from listening to it and all that is I think some of the, the people what were on, I think it's um it was it was listening to them, it was it, what I got was it was more about camaraderie, it was more about a sense of being. Um like a, a sense of community as such within that football following. Um, and some of the points of view, what they put were probably you could put into any part of life. You know, you start mixing with certain people and then it will escalate and then you'll get into bigger things with those, regardless of, of being away from football. But it seemed to me that it was like family and environment 
you know, you work hard Monday to Friday. Football is a release. The day out, ranging from the long away days to being with your, your mates. Because some of the people you go football with turn into be good mates. Better so mm-hmm. than maybe people, you know, you've grown up with or you, you live around a corner from. Because especially if you become sort of well-known at football or, or people know you, you suddenly know lots of people. And I suppose a lot of that comes into it as well. Um, you know, I'm not, I, look, it's not my thing to be going out, getting into punch ups and all that lot. But on the same level, I'm not going to throw excursions to people and say, oh, I think that's wrong. Because there's been plenty of times where football hooligans have saved um, what I would class as scarfers and, you know, the shirt wearers and stuff from getting their heads kicked in on, on days out from, from other like minded. So, I do think there's a mix between them, but there was a a familiarity between all the stories, as in how they got into it, um, and how they can't get. It's it's not. It's how they can't get out of it going forward. They just can't seem to to find out. I agree with stuff what you raised on the pod. You know. You're not gonna you you're not gonna stop someone committing violence at football just by putting them in prison. No, them in prison, banning them. You know it's gonna happen whenever they come off those bans or come out of prison. But it was a, it, you're, you're right. It was a common theme, wasn't it, Gareth? That everyone we spoke to, those bonds formed between all of their mates were really, really strong to the point you know where they li- looked out for each other's mental health. Um, they made themselves available to listen to their mates' problems. And, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not a bloke, but, I mean, you, you can probably say, Gareth, whether those bonds may be stronger than a typical male friendship group because of the lifestyle they lead. Did you think that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just being touched on there, hasn't it? But the, the nature of, if you're a true supporter or a true follower, if you like, of, of your team, if you go home and away, if you go into Europe and all the rest of it, you know, it's a big, big commitment financially in terms of your time, etc. And so you spend, you, you can end up spending an awful lot of time with these people, and you know, not not every, not every group obviously ventures into some of the stuff that, you know, we got into on the podcast, what, what those people were in. But equally, I would imagine a lot of people that listen to this and listen to that podcast as well would say, well, yeah, I am really close and really there are really strong bonds with, you know, people that you regularly go to the match with because you see them so often. I mean, you can, you can get to the point where you're seeing them more than what, you know, some of your family probably and things like that. And I think I think some of the stuff um, that we pulled, actually, um, one of the contributors couldn't contribute in the end, shall we say, and it's explained in the podcast. But I remember him talking about sort of, you know, um, a wedding or a potential wedding, and he was saying, you know, like he would be inviting people from the footy before he would be inviting some members of, of his family and her family and things like that. And that sort of said it all to me. So, yeah, there is there is very strong bonds. And then there's the, the whole... There's loads of complex aspects to it, I think, which, you know, you could have gone on forever with it, but we had to draw the line somewhere, not least because I was leaving the Anfield up. <laughs> but, you know, we could, have gone, we, we, we could have gone and got a psychologist or, you know, to, to look into that aspect of it. I think I think there were a lot, lots of interesting aspects that it brought up. And, you know, loads of it is, you know, there's, there's ego stuff in there and there's the idea of, 
you know, being on someone else's territory and being challenged and all those type of things. I thought a lot of that came across about, you know, you can't just walk into our manner and start saying X, Y, and Z or acting like this and not expect to be challenged and things like that. You know, some some people will listen to, the, to that and some people have listened to that and, and fed back to me and gone, it's madness all that. I thought all that was gone. I thought all that was like in the 80s or whatever. And I was like, well, well, I didn't. And I kind of knew, you know, I'd heard enough over the years that it still went on, but it just doesn't go on in your face. It doesn't go on in and around grounds. It's not, you know, for obvious reasons, because there's CCTV everywhere, because there's, you know, camera phones everywhere and things like that. But there is an aspect of There's a tribal nature to it, isn't there, ultimately? Um, and you know football is tribal, but but it's it's what it's to what extremes you end up taking it, and and obviously a lot of these for a lot of the people we spoke to on this, they took it to a an extreme extreme, and you know some some of the people we spoke to on there were at different stages of the journey. I think some of them were saying, well, I'm still in and I want to stay in, and I can't see myself getting out. Some people were completely out. Some people were out recently. You know what I mean? And there was different views and different stages of journeys in there. Um, but even then, I think you could hear in some of their stories that they were torn. Do you know what I mean? There was there was the it's almost like the chimp paradox thing that you know the the Steve Peters thing where you know you got one part of your brain saying one thing and another part of your brain a more you know I don't know primeval part of your brain saying something else if you like. And I think I think there's a, a big element of that in there as well. Um, I think, you know, one of the discussions was about age, wasn't it, as well? And about the fact that, you know, with age comes responsibilities and all that kind of thing. And that's why, you know, you're less likely to see older fellas, because it is mainly fellas, as we said, getting involved. But then there are are older fellas who are involved in some of the other things we touched on. So, you know, drinking excessively, now using cocaine and things like that. And, you know, there's I thought there was a really good point in the podcast made by one of the contributors where he was saying, well, people start associating that with every single time they go to football. And, you know, bearing in mind, you can be playing, what, three times a week virtually sometimes and things like that. You know, that that's A, a lot of money, and B, a lot of damage that you're doing to yourself. Because I, I don't want to get... I, I don't want to get preachy with people. People live their lives how they want to live them. But, you know, ultimately, like... You know there is a danger attached to some of this behaviour to to yourself, and um, never mind people around you, etc. And you know I, th- I think it I think it made I can't remember what what's made the edit and didn't these days because it took so long to we had eight hours of stuff that we 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 squeezed down into what you hear on the podcast. But when we spoke to um, the police officer who who regularly polices football, he was he was talking about cocaine on the streets and saying, well, they've never pulled anything in that was more than 30% pure. So, you know, for people that do regularly do it, you know, I would just say, well, you know, what is it you're putting inside yourself here? I'm not getting preachy. I'm just passing on a fact that we came across on that podcast that made me think, because I just thought, only 30, what's the rest of it then? Do you know what I mean? I think what, there was a couple of points that were raised by a couple of people. What were very interesting is in, before, the cocaine become as as um, prevalent as it is nowadays, but it is nowadays within society. Was that people mm. used to be able to drink first, but now people not necessarily have learned how to drink first, 
it's basically taking powder or, or, or sniff to compensate the alcohol if they're sort of having a bit too much to be able to keep going. Um, and when you're talking, you know, seven o'clock, you're starting your first beer, it's a long old day to be on. And I'm not saying it affects everybody in the same way, because it doesn't. But there are some people what potentially won't be able to handle that, where you're talking about safety for their self um, and their own well-being, where potentially, you know, there's concerns for them. Um, I just think that a lot of the issue, what was raised with the alcohol, with the drug side of it, it's a massive society issue not necessarily a football issue. Um, and it was quite interesting to listen to um, the police officer who pretty much said the same. Normally, you'll get police officers going, it's a football problem. It's a massive football problem. It's not. It's a massive society issue. And unfortunately, because you have all of society in, a, in pockets at football, it's always going to look bigger than it actually is. We're all, aren't we, painfully aware of that. We're painfully aware how football and football fans are treated in this little bubble away from society. So you only ever hear about cocaine being a problem among football fans. But as you say, no, nobody is really talking about um, boxing. I would, at a guess, I would hazard a guess that there's just as much, if not more, coke flying around at boxing. And horse racing. Football and horse racing. And, and as you say, it's a society problem, but it's much easier, isn't it, for politicians to jump on the the bandwagon of football fans, something must be done. And I think ultimately what underpins all of that is an absolute fear that we're going to see wholesale hooliganism return as we did in the 70s and 80s. And ultimately, what is football? Football is a product that generates billions of pounds for the economy and in taxes. And I think that that's the sort of unspoken reason for all of this. It, it's not about so nice families can go to football without some bloke shoving a load of coke up its nose. It's to protect a multi-billion pound industry. 100%. Because if you look at what beginning of the season, Fulham, I think Fulham, Liverpool... Um, it was £90 for an adult ticket and I think it was £60, £70 for a kid's ticket. So if you're aiming and you're blaming, you know, that families don't go to football because of hooliganism, because of people taking cocaine, because of excessive drinking, etc., etc., then you're talking bollocks because when clubs are outpricing families to go to football, you're not going to get families there. I mean... Well, you are because it's well. I mean, aside from anything, define family. We all know that family within football is a euphemism for nice people that turn up, um, spend a lot of money in the club shop, buy a lot of food and drink, sit down, and don't cause anybody a problem. That that's what I think is meant by family within a football context. Yeah, I would say I would say that football, and and I think we probably all been heavily involved in our football clubs to a degree as in behind the scenes more so than you know just going to games obviously Amanda you know I have we've spoken numerous occasions and I probably say that you've probably been around fans and dealing with fan issues and stuff like that as well Gareth where you suddenly realize that 
football clubs don't necessarily look at their fans as football fans. You become a spend per head. And it's about how much money I can take out of your pocket when you're in my premises. So if I'm getting 50, 100, whatever it is for a price of a ticket, I'm aiming to take the next 50 pound out of your pocket, whether that be on, on booze, whether that be on food, shirts, whatever it is. That's that's what I think they're interested in. And, you know, if you look at rugby, you'll get you'll get the same loutish behaviour at rugby than what you do at football. Yet at rugby, it's lad culture. At football, it's classed as hooligan culture. I'm not saying you get the rivalry between the two fractions as much as you do in football, but you do get the, you know, train journeys, the loutish behaviour, um, the excessive amount of drinking, urinating in streets, et cetera, et cetera, more so within the rugby side. But that's not that's not frowned upon compared to what it is with football. Yeah, it does. It, it does feel like that. There's no two ways about that. And you know that, that as Amanda said before, that's that's something we're all acutely aware of, isn't it? It, it, it always feels that you know football is the first place um, that people's come knocking for for moral panic, really. And it's like you know, oh, you know that there's an upturn in X and Y. Well, there's an upturn in cocaine use. I mean. There's an upturn in cocaine use absolutely everywhere, isn't there? Let's be honest. You know, like any pub, any bar, any town centre, any city centre, any weekend that you care to go. So, you know, but but that's not a story. That's the, the Times isn't going to send out reporters to go around with the police and tell you that because they're not telling you something you don't know. But if you say that football fans are doing it and you say that they're doing it and, you know, it's out of control and there's these people patrolling you know, different parts of of our cities and travel causing chaos on the travel network and all of it. You know, it, it's it's really dramatic, isn't it? And as you said earlier, well, I think it was it was before we started, wasn't we? You know, we all have our concerns that do police want to boost their coffers at times by saying, well, you simply need more police around football, and what helps them do that? Create a bit of moral panic, create create a situation that is perhaps bigger than it actually is. So that people say, well, something needs to be done, and then the club says, oh, well, what can we do? Well, we can get, we can pay for more police, and then the police go, thank you very much, and it's work. But I think, I think more and more people are getting onto that now. To be honest with you, I think more than ever before, the people that speak out about this, and us three are probably among them, aren't we? Um, it, it feels like there's a greater number of people behind us now. It doesn't feel like we're quite the minority we once were it feels more accepted that you get opportunities to challenge that narrative um i know myself that you know I, i've done things with various media over the years where i've been given that opportunity where i've i've been i've literally had you know mark roberts has said x and i've been able to say well mark roberts is talking out of his ass and this is why and you know I, i've literally done that on on the bbc and things like that and then it's been shared and people have seen it and people have got onto it and you know we've all played a part in that i think and you know i've heard amanda on five live and things like that you know so it, it feels to me that that doesn't go unchallenged now and some of it was quite daft from the very top of football policing as well again something we touched on off air wasn't it you know making daft claims about what safe standing was going to lead to well you know when you've campaigned for it for years when you've gone to celtic park and stood in that section 
you know that it's not going to lead to these things that you know Mark yeah. Roberts was suggesting it was going to lead to. And then guess what? They've trialed it and it hasn't. Nothing's happened. No. It's been absolutely fine. I mean, and we were all this... confident that, that that's how it was going to be. And again, though, it's that sort of moral panic. It's that sowing a seed. It's it, you know, creating an opportunity for football fans to trip themselves up and fall over. I mean, what one of my concerns about the current climate and where we are right now is that there have been some things that have gone on that we've got to hold hands up and say, well, there's a minority of people who've not done us favours here as a as a football fan collective. So, you know, the incursions onto pitches and things like that, you know, and then you know, the Billy Sharp incidents and things like that, that, that's fed into the other side, hasn't it? That has fed into, you know, there is a feral crew following, you know, almost every football team and all this kind of stuff. That, that's fell in, fed into the moral panic. And I think sometimes we've got to say as football supporters, well, there's some among our, our number here who aren't doing us any favours. And I think if you if you point that out and you say that out loud, you know, that's fine. I mean, it, going back to the podcast, that's sort of one of the things that that interests me about interested me about doing it is that there's there's things that seem to go unsaid in fan culture sometimes. Like I, I thought it was great when, you know, some of the contributors were saying, I've gone to my mates and said, I think you're having a bit too much of that, you know. I think you're doing that too often. You're not doing yourself any favours here and things like that. That was good to hear for me because I think it can become a bit glamorised at times. You know, like, you know, I'm again, I don't want to be preachy. I'm not trying to be preachy, but I'm just saying, like, you know, if you go into football three times, we can, you said it yourself before, and that, that becomes associated with not just the drink, but, you know, a bag every single time and things like that. That is not sustainable. For anyone, do you know what I mean? Not sustainable money-wise, not sustainable health-wise, and then you know what what detriments are you doing to family, friends, career, all of those things. So, I I think those honest conversations are good, and those honest conversations are a way forward. And sometimes we do have to sort of turn it in our in ourselves and and talk to each other and say, well, what what can we do here? Because you know. As much as I, I found some of it comedic, you know what I mean, in terms of because I'm a scouser and I'm from where I'm from and we talk how we talk and then, you know, I'm interviewing people and they're going on about the old Bill and all this. Um, and the old Bill got a lot of blame in that podcast, I thought. But equally, I thought some of the lads were really honest about, well, this was me, this, or this was me and my mates, this. And actually, when we look back, yeah, we did need to knock some of this on the head. I, I thought that was a good aspect of the podcast. The, I think... Within football, that you know, and I'm I'm not a lover of the old bill. I think you know some of the times what they do is is a fucking joke. The way they treat people is a joke. I think that the problem you have with football is that they throw a lot of people at it uh, from a, a, a an officer point of view who've probably had very little, if any, real training within an environment. And then, for instance, you're throwing people in. Millwall will have a reputation regardless of who we're playing. But it's like, you know, you could have a, a copper, a couple of years, you know, experience in the force, um, relatively easy bearing into the police force. And all of a sudden, they're at uh, an Everton, Liverpool, Liverpool, Man United, you know, some of these where there are, quite vicious rivalries and it's a very hostile environment 
where all of a sudden their adrenaline from dealing with a fight on a Saturday night between six blokes to suddenly having a thousand, fifteen hundred away fans walking next to them, screaming, shouting, you know, pretty intimidating. All of a sudden, they're already panicked. I mean, look at um, there isn't a court case going on, so I can say it because unfortunately he took his life. But the the police officer with the Sheffield Wednesday fan, Amanda, I think Sheffield, so. yeah, where you know, all of a sudden there was a little bit of kickoff. He's gone steaming across the road and battered the geezer across the head. Where in the world are you ever going to do that? You know, he would have never have done that in a normal environment, but because it's football, adrenaline, everything else involved, all of a sudden, bosh, you've got you've got a young kid, head split open, purely only because he's at football. I think you're right. Um, there's some footage from a League Two game going around and um, it all got a bit silly at the end, just kids being idiots, you know, thinking they're big men when they're not. Anyway, suffice to say, it could have been dealt with by a very different approach, but the, um, a few of the cops steamed in, they let off their parva spray, the batons were out, but you can see from the footage, the older cops are like, oh, let's just bang their heads together, not literally metaphorically, and get them off home. And the younger ones are visibly shitting themselves because, A, they've got the backdrop of this is football, they can kick off at any second, they're all hooligans, it's disorder, they've watched Green Street, they've seen all the films, they haven't had much life experience. And there's no, you know, and off the back of last season when like we've all said there were those various incidents then we've had a moral panic all summer haven't we with statements coming out left right and center that policing is going to be robust everyone's going to be prosecuting it prosecuted rather so the cops are going into this environment against this backdrop thinking oh my god it's going to kick off any second they've got no real knowledge or understanding of football crowds and yeah they react in exactly the way as you describe the problem you've got with football fans right now, what I see it as, and maybe I'm wrong, but the Euros wasn't what I would class as football fans being the contributors of the trouble there. And also the fact that cocaine now can get you an FBO, as in it never used to. It, it wasn't, you, you couldn't use um, possession as a, as a reason for an FBO, which obviously you can now. I am correct there, aren't I, Amanda? It's not law at the moment, but it will be. But it's coming though, isn't it? it, it oh, oh God, <laughs> yeah, it, it's coming. But no, you're, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, how many of those people down Wembley Way were regular matchgoers? No, I no. would say very few, but we will never know because the analysis isn't done. But that, that ties very nicely into what we've, you know, the various subjects that we've been speaking on. It's very easy for the media to report that as football fans, yobs, hooligans and everything else. And God, you, you know, some of a lot of what we saw that day was disgusting. It was awful. It was horrible. You know, I know people that were there with their kids and their kids were really scared. They had to go home again. And, you know, you, you can't even begin to start justifying or condoning that. But, you know, wh where was the sober analysis of that where was the context where was the nuance and in a similar vein with with Liverpool in Paris you know as soon as those images started circulating all the stereotypes came out 
all all the you know insulting shit came out again fake tickets late fans blah 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 and you know there, there was lots of locals there as well steaming the gates trying to get in and they were wearing liverpool shirts so immediately they are liverpool fans well are they you know sticking on a liverpool yeah, but shirt doesn't make you, but but again you know it, it's that same narrative and it's that same parallel and it's that same agenda of how easy it is to demonize a whole group of people based on historic behavior but i bet if you if you looked at the guy who ran on the pitch for billy sharp you look at the guy who ran on that time and got Grealish. you probably look at a few of the other instances where they've gone on and actually analyzed you probably find they might not even go to a lot. We've, we've had it at Millwall where there was people what done outrageous behaviour. What We're not talking, you know, normal normal stuff, what is associated with football where, you know, whether that be the football violence, whatever, I'm not associating that. But people who've done racial gestures or people who've done different bits of piece, they aren't regular fans. It's just literally that, they buy an odd ticket, they go, and all of a sudden what they do is very damaging, you know, reputationally for, for everyone involved because the media want the headline. Once they've got that headline, it's gone, you know, especially with Millwall where, you know, we had we had the sun come in and, and swab all the toilets. And because cocaine was found at Millwall, we were the Antichrist. And let I bet that if you went around every football stadium in the country or every pub, in the country, you'll probably find the same recordings, what they did. I mean, an interesting one where you never top tapped in on, on, on the show, and I don't know if you've got the numbers or not, but, I mean, do we know what um, the the arrest rates and stuff regarding cocaine at football is? I mean, is it any higher than outside society, or is it just, again, it's that the perceived um, perception that it's higher at football than it is anywhere else? Um, the last season's arrest stats actually come out on the 22nd of September, so we'll know then. But again, it, it's a futile exercise because there's nothing to compare it to because the arrest stats aren't collated in a way. You know, try and find nighttime economy stats to compare to football matches and, don't and you, you're just not going to find them. If, don't you, if you get arrested normally, you get drug tested now? <laughs> no. I know you don't do football, but I didn't know you did. I don't know if you did out on the outside. No, I, I think that there might have been a project, an initiative in one force where people who were arrested were asked if they could voluntarily submit a sample to be tested on the understanding it wouldn't go any further. It was just for the purposes of research. But um, that, that's God, that's the thing with these discussions, isn't it? You can just jump from one subject to another to another. But Gareth, when we were talking to people, I mean, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't remember any of our contributors saying, I have to take a load of Charlie to have a fight. But the narrative is sort of now, well, people are taking cocaine and fighting. Yeah, they are, the, the two have, have come joined together at the hip, haven't they? Whereas, the, yeah, the, I think you're right. I mean, it, certainly uh, Gary, who was on the show, you know, he's later developed an issue with cocaine, but he was fighting long before he went near it. Um, so, you know, his addiction, as he called it in the, in, on the podcast, his addiction to fighting came before 
any kind of addiction to, to cocaine. Um, I mean, it, it's just it's always dangerous, isn't it, to draw lines over over anything really on all sides around. I mean, w- w- one thing I worry about a little bit about you know some of the behaviour, so as a post lockdown and things like that. So you know, some of it, an edge of it, has been grim, and an edge of it has been wrong, and. I wonder whether, you know, again, I'm sort of going off my own experience and things that I've seen and heard and, and know about that have gone on around my club. And I wonder whether has a little bit of the self-policing that was once there, you know, dissipated a little bit. And if it has, why? So, you know, there was obviously when when Liverpool won the league, you know, we, we went in the ground um, and, you know, there were obviously gatherings uh, which at the time were illegal, not least around the pier heads and around the lava buildings and stuff like that. Now, I didn't go down there myself, but, you know, from people I know who did, um, the reports were that, you know, during the day, it was fine, it was good-natured, it was, you know, there was no issues. And then as time went on, you know, a bit of an edge started to develop and, it, and, and then that's where some problems developed and obviously you had some dick who was firing fireworks at the live buildings and that became the headline then do you know what i mean but you know when there's a when there's a big group like that or when, when you know certainly my my experience of going the match when i first started going and i was a gobby teenager if i stepped out of line in any way or did something that broke one of the unwritten rules around watching football an older fella to give you a little tap on the shoulder or a clip around the ear and say lad no we don't do that here you know, because it's back to what we're talking about a minute ago of, you know, the consequences of the actions of a few can end up having an influence on the experience of the many of you like. And I think that football fans know that. But once upon a time, they were more readily, you know, up for challenging people who, who would step out of line. And I wonder if some of that's dying and wonder why and, and things like that. And I don't, again, I don't know the answers. I'm not a sociologist, a psychologist or any of those ologies. But I do, it might be a bit circumstantial for my evidence, but but I do just wonder, is that going? Is that dying out? Is that a thing? Yeah, and sorry. No, it definitely is, but it's not just a football, is it? I mean, I'm sure we've all sat on buses with a load of school kids that are just being really fucking annoying and bordering on aggressive to each other. And everyone just sits there on their phones, don't they? Nobody wants to look up and challenge them. You've got another podcast here. Yeah, um, I, I think perhaps there's a fear, you know, because we're sort of maybe conditioned. I mean, it's ironic, isn't it, to talk about how younger people are stereotyped when we are so anti-football fans being stereotyped. But perhaps you look at a group of kids and you think, shit, has one of them got a knife? Um, kids nowadays are can be bloody six foot four and built like the proverbial shit houses. And I think that there's just a fear in society of what are the consequences going to be for me if I intervene in a situation or if I challenge behaviour. And perhaps even as well, you know, if we're talking about younger kids, they can run off to the police, can't they, and say, that ball bloke over there, he touched me. And that might sound a bit dramatic, but kids know that they've got their power to make... (laughs) Okay, hell. Fucking hell, thanks for that. Fucking hell. You know what I mean? I think I might have to bleep out her accusation there, do you know what I mean? Because someone will fucking sound clip that. Fucking hell, man, thanks for that one. 
Sorry, sorry. Well, no wonder this Gareth has got fucking hair, but he ain't, is he? He's got <laughs> hair, so I ain't. So I'm the only bald-headed one here. But yeah, yeah, nice for that. Thanks. Is that the way we go now? Known each other for absolute years, and fucking there's the bus. Mickey's going now. I'm pissed off at these school kids. So I'll just throw Mickey in front of the bus. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Sorry, for the record, listeners, of course, I'm not implying anything at all untoward. But I, th- I think there is... I'm editing. I'm yeah, editing. I... <laughs> Kids do have it within their power, don't they? I mean, I bet your kid oh, at I'm, one point I'm, or another I'm, has said, you can't send me to bed, I'm bringing child line, yeah, I'm calling my teacher. There's no fear. The problem is, nowadays, as society is in a whole, there is no fear. You know, you've got, you know, people attacking women freely. You've got people attacking other people freely. Statement of football. People fighting within football are like-minded people, okay? You've still got a large... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Large part of football where it's football fans who want to partake in that sort of thing. You don't have necessarily football fans going around beating up families it's normally they attack like-minded people the problem you've got with society as a whole that there is no there is no boundaries now you know you you there is no fear looking at you know all the looting what goes on where all of a sudden the mass crowds where it seems to be coming up at the moment in looting and and everything else it it's it's just no fear so the problem has is that you've got kids who are partaking in, in gangs and, and and everything else, possibly for the same reasons as the younger kids with the football, that 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 sense of being, that camaraderie, everything else. But because the police aren't necessarily doing anything, the fear just disappears. So, you know, they will behave however they want. You raise a subject and say, mate, what are you doing? you'll be told you're a cunt and and all of a sudden they're square up to you. So then you've got to make the choice of, am I going to, you know, take this a step further or am I just going to fucking melt away and walk away? Um, and a lot of times people just don't want to get involved. No one wants to die just for telling someone to shut up. And that's the risk you've got nowadays. But you don't necessarily have that at football um, as much as it is in society. One point what... Mm. What was a few people raised it and stuff like that is that I think as a whole with society is that mental health care is very, very poorly funded, very, very poor, um, poorly achievable 
um, right now. Hence why there's a lot of men action groups, men focus groups, um, walk and talk groups spouting up all over football um, where there's an in, an enticement of men together are more likely to talk to each other than you would with your pals in these groups where walking and talking what seems to be focusing up. I mean, how much of an issue is society, people wanting escapism, and then unfortunately they get too far down the line to to really know how to get back um, with the fact that there is no mental health care for, for men. We look at, we hear the mental health within men all the time, don't we? Men have the highest rate of suicide. Men are more likely not to talk about things. Men are more likely not to go to the doctor. Men are more likely, you know, you could carry on with the list. Men is this macho um, image of a man, hence why we get what we get from them. Um, but is it turning with going back to the self-policing, but is the self-policing now being more about self well-being? Yeah, I mean, you know, there there is there is challenges, isn't there, around around being a bloke essentially that that don't maybe get talked about enough, um, and you know they can range. There's a huge range of that, you know, from everything around, you know, what you wear and what your appearance is. Uh, you know, men can be very cruel to other men, and you know the, the whole mental health thing and the, you know being a bit kinder to each other. I think there are certain groups of men that you know that message is going to get to last essentially. And, you know, like dressing room culture and things like that. You know, we, I think we all like to think we've progressed as a society and th certain things are off, you know, off the table now, but then you were plenty to say, well, well, they're not actually. Um, and, and, you know, they, these are some of the reasons that people can disappear down holes where they have got an issue around the mental health, but then they don't know how to talk about it because there is still a level of, you know, the, the phrase man up still kicks around, you know, phrases like snowflake, you know, is kicked around. And, you know, there is a macho element, a tribal element, like I mentioned before, to football itself. So even if you're not going the game, you know, you're not part of a group that's fighting or anything like that, the likelihood is at some stage, you might have gone through a stage where you're hanging around with a group where you've got to have you've got to wear certain clothes or you've got to have a certain haircut or you've got to have a certain coat or, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, there will be certain amounts of peer pressure. And if whatever you find yourself outside of these groups, that can be difficult to deal with. And, and then there's general life and there's plenty of triggers for, for mental health problems, obviously. Um, but, you know, you only ever get talk, don't you? The message is always talk, 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 talk. And I've, I've challenged that myself to say, well, okay, but what you like, like just saying talk is fine. But you know, I've I've had a, I've had problems myself with my mental health, and I found that the you need to talk to the right person is the key thing. Just talking it's, to anyone, just talking to anyone doesn't work. Like it's you a know, I, I guess, as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that as well. But I mean, like you know, you can you could unload all your problems onto a person, and they might nod along, but they don't know what to say to you because it's no. not. They're not an expert in that field, or they just, you know, they're just taken aback by it, or, and so therefore you, you know, you you can sort of find yourself in the same place. 
And so yeah, talk, but you know, try and talk to more than one person or try and talk to someone who knows what they're talking about or go to a GP or go to one of these groups like what you're talking about. You know, that would be what I would say. I don't think there's a one size fits all solution. And also you've got to be a little bit lucky. You've got to find someone who's good, essentially, someone who knows what they're talking about and someone who can help you. And, you know, it took me a while to find someone who was right for me, if you like, who helped me. And I'm in a better place now through that. But that wasn't the case straight away. You know, I would tell people, bounce things off people, and I could see in their eyes, didn't, didn't really want this conversation. They felt uncomfortable. And me just unloading on them, well, I might have helped a little bit, but, you know, it's more complicated than just saying talk. And what oh, it really I'm needs... Saying- what it really, well, what it really needs is an is an acknowledgement that it's an issue, that it's a you know that it's endemic, that it's it, it's here to stay, that it's a problem, um, and it needs investment in it. And as you say, you know, there, there are waiting lists around absolutely every service, um, you know, voluntary ones, ones that you can get through the NHS, etc. And there are varying standards of who you're likely to see as well. Um, so you know. It needs money. It needs money thrown at it. It needs the government to recognise that it's a it's a priority. Um, and there's plenty of talk around it that I see, and plenty of things written, but you know, not huge life changing amounts thrown at it. Um, but yeah, hundred percent that it's it's a thing in football, hundred percent, and and you know things that fans have organised themselves, like you mentioned, like walk and talk groups and things like that. You know, the the things like that that have sprouted up around here. Um, and you know they are positive things because I, I think you know I, I said about you know it, it's hard to find the right people to talk to at times but you know in a way and Amanda touched on it before some of these groups that we got a little insight into and some of the ones that I know of around Liverpool things like that you can actually find situations where quite macho fellas start opening up to each other and you know they, they, they embrace it. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they move away from the machoism for a little bit and say, "Well, yeah, I felt like that." You know what I mean? I've had days like that, mate. Do you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, that aspect of talking is good if the other person's open to it. But like I say, not everyone is. Other people can close up themselves, or maybe they've got their yeah. own issues. You know, you've got to you've got to be prepared to bounce it off more than one person. I think. No, I think you're right, and I think sometimes it's stuff what you think you're only going through or you're only thinking you'll probably find possibly in the groups you hang around with that there's probably three, four, five others what are having the yeah. same thoughts as you. They're having the same, um, you know, bad days, not wanting to get out of bed, hate their fucking job, hate their fucking missus, hate their fucking boss, etc., etc., etc. We all have those same things. But again, if all you're talking about is the football results and you know, the barmaid and look at that and this, that and the other, which notoriously you do you because you go to football to forget the world. Do you know mm. what I mean? You go, you know, football is is like a massive antidepressant. You go to football for the hour and a half of football or, or you know, the day of football to basically forget how shit the world is if if the world is shit. That's your, your lively line. Um and I think, you know, you know, mental health, I don't necessarily think everybody suffers with mental health the same way. But if it is something that does bother you, then you know, do reach out to people, do speak to people, do look to get. There are various fan led um, organisations around clubs 
well, more than happy to speak to you. Um, there's, you know, you keep your head in the game, which is another organisation that does football to to increase men talking. Uh, and a lot of the football trusts have mental health entities. But if we're expecting the government and, and a light to throw money at it, then I think we're going to be here for a long time. We, You know, you only need to look at some of the organisations around football, kick it out. You know, they've been underfunded for so long um, when they could have done some real positive things over the year if they had, you know, the funds to go for it. Um, but, hey, the, 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 we're co- I'll come up towards an end where we go. But one of the things what I was interested to hear both your views, purely because of what you do, Amanda, and obviously with what the show was about, is how much is the society issue of likes and social media friendship and exposure is a problem nowadays within football, especially with the violence where obviously the people doing it don't want their images being published all over, but you've got various, various accounts what come under away day names of various amounts, what seem to, you know, glorify um, and post videos. What realistically does nobody any good apart from get people prison time. You're pretty much grassing, on your on your own people for various reasons. That there's sort of subgroups within these groups, aren't there? So all of the lads that we spoke to wouldn't go anywhere near social media in a million years. Because even though they're relatively young, they're old school. I mean we'll all know pubs, won't we, where camera or camera phones might not be welcome and you know you, you just are respectful of that. I think that there's various Various answers to your question. I, th- I, I it endlessly fascinates me. These people that behave in such a way that's at best going to get them a club ban, at worst is going to get them a criminal record, and they do not give a shit. And they film themselves doing all sorts. And it's on TikTok. It's on Twitter. I mean, every time somebody rings me up, I will generally stick their name into Twitter or whatever. Just to get, you know, because, I mean, obviously people sound like choir boys when they're talking to me for some reason. I don't know why. I think they think that I've got the power to magic away their problems or I'm going to sentence them. But, yeah, people just splash all sorts of images all over social media and don't think twice about it. I think, yes, the Away Day accounts are, are... Are they a problem? Are we older are we seeing it as are we seeing something that isn't a problem as a problem because of the generation I, we're all in? I, perhaps I'm I'm quite heavily involved in social media, right? We run a run a fan channel. We you know our our image as such, our our promotional basis is based on social media. We promote the show on social media because it's a it's a platform, it's an outlet for us to be able to do it. We've got a large TikTok, you know, we've got. Um, a, a good size Twitter. We've got, you know, we're growing on Instagram, Facebook, etc. So it's a platform for us. Um, would I be publishing private footage of, you know, punch ups at football and stuff like that? No, not a fucking chance in hell. Um, especially not Millwall. Um, no way, because it, it's not what the accounts there. But these accounts have got no interest in the individuals taking part in that. What they want is the exposure, because the more you have, the more exposure you have, the more potential revenue you get from it. So they they will rob a rob a, 
a clip from somewhere, publish it, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it's all about likes and you know you only have to look at Snapchat, you only have to look at everything else. It, there's a certain, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's the the real football fan element. It's the it's the newer fan, the tourists coming in, the people who just want to moan about oh look at this, who are providing so much evidence. You know, it's unbelievable. And also as well, you know, we, we talk about mental health and be kind. I mean, the one that springs immediately to mind that's done the rounds in the last few days is that Chelsea fan who's been interviewed by some podcaster outside the stadium and he takes offence at something and the air is turned literally blue and he goes chasing off after to kick their fucking head. Have you, have you seen it? No, not yet. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, it's gone out. My phone out. will beep in a minute when Manda sends me the video. I will. But no, it, it, it's gone viral and it's clear that the bloke has got issues of some description but he's put up there as entertainment and everyone's laughing at him look at that wanker look at this ha ha what a twat blah 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 but there, there's so many i think and i don't know what you think gareth no doubt you're saying that, but there's so many different layers to that question it's it's difficult to answer it but i think um you know the away day accounts they've got what a hundred thousand plus followers that there's clearly an appetite and a clear clearly an audience for that content otherwise it wouldn't be there but again you know full circle that that's probably one of the motivators for us doing the podcast because we wanted to present these people as real people not just your stereotype green street-esque hooligan in I, mean, no, I totally agree with you and i mean before we we come to a final final bit i mean gareth what's your um, what's your view on this social media craze now for football? Yeah, I mean, that type of stuff that you're talking about, my my issue with it is, I think, you know, rewinding to what we were saying before about perception. And, you know, we presume because we're football fans and we are in that bubble and we go to games and, you know, it's been our lives and all the rest of it. I think we can presume wrongly that, you know, that is how everyone sees football and looks at football and, you know, you don't get why, you know, you're stereotyped in a certain way by certain parts of society. I think my issue with it is those those type of accounts can make it look like issues in football are a lot worse than they are. So, you know, if they're going out looking for any footage of, of a scrap that they can find in any given weekend and publishing it week after week after week, there will be people who, you know, casually... Um, follow football or perhaps don't go to games and just watch it on TV or whatever, who will be getting an impression that, oh, well, you know, there's still a big issue here um, with, you know, fighting with whatever, blah, blah, blah. And when, you know, all the figures show that, you know, the majority of, of people that attend football in any given season are Laura Biden and, and are there to watch the game, you know, socialise with their mates, have a drink, blah, 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 whatever without crossing the line but you know stuff like that I don't I would file that under stuff that isn't doing us a favour as a collective again really um, I totally agree with it, it, it's given a false impression of of football fans once again and you know for, we, we've already got plenty of enemies on that score who, who, who want to you know brand us with the hooligan tag or brand us with the not to be trusted tag or the first to be policed or you know most closely policed you know there are so many laws aren't there are still around football which absolutely baffle 
um, you know, the stuff around, you know, not being able to drink on a coach and not being able to drink in sight of, of football pitches and all things like this. And, you know, we'll all have our own examples of that. My one that I always bring up is that rugby league occasionally gets played at Anfield. Um, and, you know, I know one or two people who, who like rugby league and someone sent me a picture once and they were in my seat. My seat. My seat. They were in my seat with a beer watching the rugby league. And I can't do that when I go in the same seat because I'm watching football and not rugby league. And that's just ridiculous. That's absolutely the nonsense. The problem you've got is that the laws around football are from the 80s when yeah. football violence was massive. It was huge. Do I think football violence is now where it was in the 80s? Nowhere near. Most no. of the football violence or whatever is done between two groups what want to, and it's away from the stadium. Um, because, you know, they don't necessarily want it near the stadium because, obviously, if it's near the stadium, potentially football bans, everything else come with it. They want it away so it can be more of a, a puncher. But it's nowhere near the 80s. But there is a... There is a, a path where the police, clubs, AFL, FA, want it to become as if it's a major problem again when it isn't. Um, when if they just took a normal step, started treating football fans as normal human beings, most of it would probably stop. You know, a high percentage of stuff that goes on wouldn't be there. Most of the trouble what the police get away games is because a lot of the time they provoke that scenario, kettling you know, pushing people around where, you know, I understand they use the line of, well, we've got to be intimidating because we need to gain control. But that's fine. But if there's only 40 of you and 600 football fans, you're not necessarily going to be that intimidating. So why do it in the first place? And, and until that changes and we can start drinking in the state, I mean, it's this this myth of, well, if we're allowed drinking in the stadium, people are going to get pissed more. Well, are they? Because when they go buy a drink at half time, they're more likely going to buy a couple of pints and take them back to their seats and drink them slowly rather than trying to knock two or three pints back in 15 yeah. minutes. So, you know, it works at football, at rugby. I can go to rugby and watch rugby and take four pints of Guinness back to my seat. In fact, I could take 20 pints of Guinness back to my seat and no one would care. But I can't do that at football because there's this image of, oh, well, you're going to throw the glass on the pit, you're going to throw the plastic cup on the pitch, or you're going to do this, you're going to do that. When I think if we looked at the laws and changed them, I mean, the prime one, what Amanda said to me before, you know, and, and lawyers, at football, you could be arrested for being drunk just by smelling of alcohol and being unsteady on your feet. So pretty much, if someone pours a pint down you and you've not drank any of it, and you stumble in front of a police officer, potentially he could arrest you for being drunk at football. But I could go to rugby and spend all morning in the pub before the game, barely be able to walk, and probably get dragged there by my pals, and the old Bill wouldn't bat an eyelid. 
I, I, I was, I'll, I'll just keep this quick because you'll probably want to wrap up quite soon, I would, would imagine. But I was talking to um, a copper recently down in a town where they've got both rugby and football. And absolutely spot on what you just said. He said, if anything, the rugby lot drink more and are more aggressive and antisocial. But the policing approach is, go on, mate. Fuck off home and have a cup of coffee. Don't give me a headache. Go on. Don't want to be dealing with you. Go home. Sober up. Football fan, they're in handcuffs in the back of the van and in the cell. And is that because the unknown or the unknown to the wider audience, but to those within me, you, you, Amanda, know that the Home Office pays police forces for football banning orders. So when you've got a, when you've got in basic terms, a reward system for nicking people. You're going to want to nick people for certain offences where you can get FBOs and a higher up FBOs so you can get more money. And we're talking, what, three and a half, four and a half grand per person on an FBO, there or thereabouts. Last time I spoke to the man who knew, that was the figures he gave me. Possibly, but also, like, we, we all saw, didn't we, over the summer... Everyone was churning out statements. Everyone was, you know, concerned whether this season would pick up how last season left off. So as a consequence now, you know, I mean, you, you still get coppers like Paul, the one that we had on the podcast, who act sensibly and with discretion. And then you get other police forces who will just nick you at the drop of a hat because they want the banning order and the stats. And I was talking to Melanie the other day. Um, she's a solicitor we refer all fans to. And she said the, the drive for football banning orders you know, they are prosecuting people that they probably shouldn't be prosecuting just so they can apply for the football banning order. And I think until you get rid of that, the rest of the stuff around football won't be able to change. So looking no, at but, but, the uh, health uh, and everything else around it won't change. It won't. But, you know, Gareth said earlier, I completely agree with him. I think fans... I mean, we've all not spoken about fan behaviour, I think, for very good reasons, not least because everybody else does. So why should fans groups add their voice to, you know, the crescendo of condemnation? But I think now we're at the point, you know, if, if football fans, groups and individuals and associations can readily condemn discrimination, then they should be quick to condemn other behaviour, which, again, as Gareth says, has a knock-on effect for all of us. But the trouble is, is that someone in football will think of an idea and then try and ram it down football fans' throats without, you know, finding out if it's a major issue, you know, within racism. Racism within football isn't nowhere near the issue it was 25 years ago. But yes, there are individuals that do it, but a lot of the time it is self-policed. Yet they will jump on something and and, and pretty much throw it down people's throats. But, but say, then we we, we are we are the ones with the platform, aren't we, Gareth, to provide the context and the nuance and the more thoughtful backdrop to these discussions. But we're never yeah, approached I mean, by you know, what one thing one thing I did with with that as being an example is you know. It, it, I think it's just trying to be 
be fair about it and just you know if you're a regular match goer and you have got a platform or you have got some kind of influence or you know you have got some kind of standing within your group of supporters yeah call things out um and i'm, yeah. I'm always one to to call for that and i try and do that as much as i can with with my platform albeit that's lessened a little bit recently in that i'm not involved with the amphi rap anymore but you know, I've still got a, a significant following online and things like that. So when things happened around the Merseyside derby recently, I, I called it out and I was able to call it out because I was when I got Everton fans saying, well, did you call out Liverpool fan behaviour? I was like, yeah, I made a video here when Dixie Dean, when the Dixie Dean statue was, was targeted. I called that out. I made a video about it. There you go. So, you know, I was able to, to say, well, I've done that about Liverpool fans and I've done it about Everton fans. Can you, you know, can you honestly say the same? Because people get too tribal about absolutely every point around football. And that's one of the problems football's got when, when fans are involved. But what, what I was coming back to say was, you know, in terms of being fair, like we can all say, and, you know, I was very much of the mindset for a long time as well. And there's still things now that, are, are, you know, have eminently disagree with and don't like and I've got plenty of things in my locker I could throw out right now and tell you about the least treatments I've seen and things that I've had said to me and things I ways I've been treated and my friends have been treated and all that but what, what I'm talking about about being fair when you see something good um when and I've used this example several times when we've been talking on this topic so Amanda I'll bore you once again and I know you went to this game but when Liverpool played Sheffield United away when they first came back up into the Premier League after a decent break away. Obviously, there was some trepidation among Liverpool fans about going to Sheffield for obvious reasons. And, you know, the relationship between Liverpool supporters and that police force in relation to Hillsborough, etc. and blah, blah, blah. So, obviously, there was lots of talk within the support about that police force, how they treat us, what they're like. They're going to be unwelcoming. They're going to be nasty. They're going to try and provoke you. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to do that. The other. Obviously, someone somewhere within that force had the foresight to say, "Well, that's what they think is going to happen. Let's do something different here." And I, I remember getting off the train at Sheffield that day, expecting, you know, you know, a bad welcome if you like from police yeah, and you know yeah. police in riot gear and all that kind of gear that you've seen so many times at so many matches and what we got instead was actually refreshing because we actually got coppers saying to us are you looking for a boozer like are you going for a drink and we we're like yeah and he's like that one just up, up the hill there on the left absolutely fine for away fans you know enjoy the game lads that type of thing and you're like you know did, did that did that just happen um, yeah. And then similarly, like going up to the ground, there were people drinking on the streets and things like that. Instead of being strong arm with those lads, there was there was there were coppers coming over saying, you know, past this point, we're, we're going to have to ask you, can you just throw your can in the bag and things like that. But it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't that, it wasn't being rude, it wasn't being aggressive. It was just, you know, can you do this? Can you do as a favour type thing? And then equally on our way back to the station when we'd finished, we had a conversation with a few of them. And again, and there was there was there'd obviously been a conversation, stroke directive of let let's try and let's try and bring this down a bit instead of standing around with machine guns, batons, riot gear, and setting a tone of yeah. this is an attritional thing that you're involved in. Just just dialing it all down a bit made a huge difference to my day, and, and you know that was my experience. So I wrote about that, and I said, 
been going the match a long, long time, been going away a long, long time. And that was a positive experience. I'm fair play to the coppers who made that work because, you know what, I'd like to see more of that. Do you know what I mean? So, and, you know, we've had, well, in the past, I'm saying, I'm still saying we can't get out of the habit, but on the Anfield app, we had the Owen West on several times. Fantastic. And he's he's a, he's a great fella. And, you know, he's someone who's worked at the very top of policing and is now working incredibly hard in exactly what I'm talking about, you know. But but there's a big challenge there. There's a, there's a We talked about cultures among fans before. There are, there's cultures among the police and not good cultures. And, that, you know, it's going to take time to challenge them and change them. But, you know, Owen's doing his part. I think, you know, football fans can do their part in challenging nonsense from people like Mark Roberts. But equally try and be fair and say, you know, if you see something good, say, well, that was a positive experience. And, you know, we want to see more of that and less of that. And I think, you know, we've all got voices now. You know, we've all got platforms. You know, fan media has absolutely gone through the roof. And I made up that it has because I'm someone who's always loved fanzines going all the way back to the 80s. And I, I see, like, you know, podcasts, video channels, etc., of almost being like the digital incarnation of that. But it, it's gone through the roof and it's 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 gone into mainstream. You know, fans are getting, you know, platforms on Sky and BT Sports and Five Live and things like this. So there's plenty of us that have got opportunities to talk about this, highlight the good and bad. And I just think we should all be taking that opportunity more often. Yeah, no, I agree. And I second your your point on uh, on Owen. I mean, yeah, Owen was fun. fundamental. Um, yeah, he was fundamental in us when uh, we were on a, a 10-year ban with Leeds, where we had to go service station, get tickets, et cetera, et cetera. I think it was about 10 years, to be fair. And uh, he was fundamental in, in, you know, saying, let them have access. Just, you know, step back, let them use the pubs. You know, we police it softly, don't turn up in riot gear. And it worked. Um, yeah. You know, he knew that his, his fans as such were more trouble than ours to a degree. They would try and cause the trouble. I was just wanting to have a beer before the game, uh, and and pretty much he 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 understood that he treated us as human beings uh, rather than this you're all scumbags and I'm going to police you like it, which normally has consequences and repercussions um, going down the path. Look, we've been talking for as long as your podcast. Your podcast is an hour and seventeen minutes. Uh, we've just gone over that, um, so. The way I always do these is that I like to leave um, the final words. I go round the guests or, or the panel who are always on and just say, have you got anything you want to um, say to the audience um, regarding your podcast or regarding a subject we've we've raised tonight? Um, I'll start with you, Amanda, then I'll end with you, Gareth. So, Amanda. Oh, on the spot. Um, yeah, I mean, always. we've... We've spoken about it. If you haven't listened to the podcast, take a listen to it. Yes, it is a long one, but it's a good one. And um, yeah, as we touched on, we, we've given people a voice that don't ordinarily get one. And I'm sure being Millwall supporters, you will never, ever need any help from me. But if you do, contact details are in my bio on Twitter and I'm here to help. Gareth? 
Uh, yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I'd obviously echo that. I'd, I'd suggest that you listen to that podcast if you haven't done already and would love to hear what you think of it if you do give it a go. And and just just to reiterate, it's something that um, I've been trying to get across, you know, again, I, I worry about sounding preachy, but I just think, you know, the, the thing about the self-policing that I was talking about before, I know that it can be incredibly difficult at times, particularly you know, in terms of groups and in terms of how you're perceived and, you know, and equally all these people who've, who've got fanzines or podcasts or whatever, they won't want to seem preachy and there'll be certain things that they don't want to challenge. But I just think as a collective, you know, wide umbrella, the football fan collective, for want of a, a better phrase that isn't as wanky as that. But, you know, we we can help ourselves, I think, in, in some, of, some of the stuff that goes on. So some of the more unsavory behavior at, at, at games you know if if we challenge it ourselves in that old school manner of not necessarily a clip around the ear but just saying like come on lads do we, do we need to sing x or y like my big bugbear is singing about football disasters which liverpool fans have been guilty of in the past in terms of munich which Man United and Everton fans are guilty of in terms of Heysel, the stuff around Hills, where there's the always the victim stuff, all of that. I just think all of it is grim. I don't want to take rivalries out of football. I love it. I, I love a derby. I love giving, you know, opposition fans stick. But I just think there's there are lines there. And I think, you know, that's tragedy stuff. And Making people, you know, making families of deceased feel uncomfortable in football stadiums and stuff like that. It's just incredibly grim. And I just wish that people with influence within the football fan world challenged it. So if we could if we could do that, that would make my day. We're yeah, okay. all this for that. And um Leeds get the two men that were murdered in Galatasaray. Yeah. That's another example. It was going to yeah. right, wasn't it? If it wasn't, take that out because getting it wrong would be catastrophic. It's but yeah, I'm, I'm at this stand, but I'm, I'm completely nothing with you on that. Um, quite how mocking people for individual collective deaths comes under the category of rivalry is just beyond yeah. me, I'm afraid. Just doesn't, does it? Nothing funny about it, nothing, nothing witty about it, nothing clever about it. It's just shit. Thanks for that, Amanda. Um, <laughs> throw me under the bus and then fucking bring us right down at the end as well. Cheers. Um, I was going to say something. <laughs> um, no, look, it, uh, I think it's a good listen. If you've not listened to this, if you've not listened to the pod yet, um, it'll be in the show description, a link to it in the show description. You'll also have a link to Amanda's details and you'll also have a link to um, Mel, who is the Football Law Associates, um, details and I suggest probably saving both Amanda and Mel's number in your mobile phone if um, you misbehave at football and even if you don't misbehave at football it's handy just in case you go to a police force what wants to nick you for basically wearing a pink shirt or a pair of shorts or just for wearing a pair of trainers really um, it's always handy to have their show lasts about an hour and 17 minutes um, Amanda said it's a long one, but it doesn't really feel like a long one. It's 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 a good show to listen to. Um, it's very thought provoking, um, and I'm sure you can approach Amanda on 
on social media, uh, if you want to continue the conversation, and maybe Gareth on social media as well. But I just think it's worth you listening to it and and seeing. Um, if any of the subjects raised in that podcast are of concern to you, gambling, drinking, drug addiction, drug abuse, um, I'll put some numbers in the description of this as well. Um, but remember, you know, our DMs are always open. Um, we can listen to you. We can talk to you. Um, are we experts in the field? Fucking no chance. Um, but we can help direct you in the right position. We won't ignore you. Um, and I think, you know, one of the greatest things in life is, you know, it is okay not to be okay. Um, and just because you're a fella don't mean you can suffer alone. So, uh, so yeah. But other than that, I'd like to thank my guests, Gareth and Amanda, for taking time out your evening um, and getting involved. And, uh, yeah, check out their podcast and uh, and hopefully you enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, go on, Amanda. I was just going to say thank you very much for being such a lovely host. Right. Yeah, cheers, Mickey. It's in the post. No, no, you're all good. Well, that's <laughs> it. That's uh, uh, a special for that Millwall podcast during the international break. Um, and remember to give us a follow, give us a like. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, please press the subscribe button. It helps us a lot more than you could possibly imagine. Um, and that's it. We'll see you again shortly. We've got another show out tomorrow. So uh, bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.